It's important to understand because this parable was prompted by an event that had just taken place in Galilee. There was a lot of social and racial tension during this era of Israel's history, and here's why. The Romans, as all of you know, uh, had conquered that part of the world during that time. They ruled that part of the world. And they had come in and had been extremely heavy-handed in attempting to control the Jewish people. Because of this, patriotic feelings and passions had been stirred among the people. I hope that's what's going on here today in our country, is that people of faith will begin to engage themselves in the political process and help us elect men and women who value our principles, our morals, and certainly the freedom to worship. These feelings that had been aroused in the Jewish people had not been wasted in their mind, but they took action. And because of what had happened in Luke chapter 13, and I'll come to that in just a second, Israel at this time was literally a powder keg waiting for a match to be struck. Uh, Pilate, their governor, their representative from Rome that was assigned to that part of the world, knew it. And in his position as governor over this very troubled province and this troubled time, this situation caused a huge amount of unrest. But the matter was also deeply complicated for Pilate because Israel was so far from Rome to summon Roman troops uh, would have been virtually impossible had this developed into a very unpleasant situation. So from what we can gather in reading this scripture passage is that Jesus was not in Jerusalem when this tragic event took place, and here's what happened. So the story pours out to the people, to Jesus. As soon as he arrived, they began to tell him what happened. They said that there were some Galileans who had recently come to offer sacrifices of worship to God. And while they were involved in worship, some Roman soldiers on the orders of Pilate came along and ruthlessly killed them for no reason. Kind of like what's going on in parts of our world today. And I will say in passing that that same spirit that was manifested that day is alive and well in our world today, and we all know it. There are dark, hideous spirits that rove about, and they want to kill every bit of the worship that is offered up to God in the church. They're rogue, dark, and ominous. It's the spirit of our age that wants to shut down every bit of the devotion, loyalty, and desire that finds expression in the church. And so when this happened, suddenly the blood of the worshipers and the blood of the animals they had brought to sacrifice were mingling in one common stream. Such an event would cause anyone who was loyal to God and to the act of worship to be stirred in anger. But it was also cause the human mind to begin to come to certain conclusions. Listen very carefully and I'll get to my message in a moment. It's exactly what happened to the men who were asking the questions. They came to the conclusion that the massacre of these Galilean worshipers took place 
because there was some sin prevalent in the life of these Galilean people. And what horrible sinners these men must have been that they were the recipient of such harsh and cruel and unjust judgment. But when the situation was expressed to Jesus, he ferreted out their conclusion when he told them that they thought the Galileans were sinners because they had suffered much. And this has become the age-old question. It's that question that people ask and conclusions that are arrived at that men have been asking for centuries. It happened in John chapter 9 in reference to the man who was born blind. The disciples asked, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Job in the Old Testament was even accused by his friends. They said, your life is in ruins because of your sin. So there are many people who grapple with this kind of faulty thinking. They automatically attribute their troubles to some kind of sin or some kind of displeasure that they may have caused God. But nowhere do we find that Jesus held those views. In fact, His own suffering was not because He was evil, but because He was good. And everybody said amen. So Jesus knew that there are some who suffer. Not because they're evil, but because they are good. Continue to listen carefully. Obviously, there are some sinful actions. When men do take part in them, there will be terrible consequences. There are certain sins of the flesh that will render us useless or unusable. Amen. Yes, there is. In fact, the miracle of John chapter 5 gives us a strong sense of this. The man at the pool of Bethesda who had lain there for 38 years and had lived out a miserable existence. Notice, this man was not a victim of misfortune because accompanying his healing was a very sharp warning from Jesus himself. He said, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come upon thee. So sin has its fruit that will come back to haunt men. On the other hand, there's a kind of sin. Listen very carefully. There's a kind of sin that we often don't spend too much time thinking about, and it's the sin of neglect and the sin of disregard. There's prodigals here today. There's prodigals here today that in the name of liberty waste their substance on riotous living. There's people here today who fail in their duty like Amaziah who served God but not with a perfect heart or a complete heart. There's people who lose because of a lack of vigilance like Eglon of the Old Testament who was more interested in eating and napping than doing what was required of him. There are tragic harvests There are tragic harvests that come to people who commit the sin of neglect and disregard. I'm going to say that again. I know we're not bouncing off the wall this morning, but pastor's very burdened here today. There are tragic harvests 
that come to people who commit the sin of neglect and disregard. This brings me to my message this morning. It was a long introduction to get us to the matter of the parable that Jesus told them that day, and that is the matter of the fig tree. There are inherent lessons and principles that comes out of this text. In Luke chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible said, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted. This certain man planted a fig tree, and I want everyone to listen. Everybody listen, especially the group that I referenced earlier. It had not been, excuse me, it had been a deliberate act to plant this tree. It was a deliberate act that caused this tree to be planted where it was planted. It was not some whim or fancy on the part of the owner. A passing breeze or a wayward bird had not just dropped the seed here in the vineyard and by chance had taken root and began to grow. It was the intelligent choice of a man who owned a piece of land to come along and plant it in its very specific, well-thought-out and designed place. I want everybody to understand here today, everybody under the sound of my voice, nothing about our lives is happen chance. There's nothing about our lives that's just coincidental and just so happened to be. God, in His Merciful action planted you and you and you and you intentionally planted you where you are today. It was not just because you liked Grace Church. I have a feeling that God probably worked in your mind a little bit to maybe cause you to like Grace Church. He caused you to fall in love with this environment. He caused you to fall in love with the way you were accepted, the way you were loved, the way you were treated, the way you were handled with care and concern. And all of our goal here today of our leadership team is to develop everybody in this church to your fullest extent, to the fullest uh, uh, extent of your gifting and talent, to cause you to give back and to be productive in your relationship with God. God just didn't say, well, I really don't care where you go to church as long as you go to church. I believe God has a specific uh, time and, and order for every man's life. It's not happen chance, neither is it by coincidence. What I just said is reiterated all through the Bible in Mark 13 Jesus said, to every man is given a work. In Romans 12, Paul said, all members have not the same office. In Romans 13, the Bible said, they are all God's ministers. In 1 Corinthians 3, we're all laborers together. In 1 Corinthians 12, dividing to every man severally as he will. In 1 Corinthians 15, always abounding in the work of God. Jesus said, so send I you, not y'all, to use southern lingo. I send you, very personal, very individual, 
I have a plan mapped out for your life. And you're not here just because it just worked out. So just as the fig tree was planted deep into the earth, we have been planted in a similar manner in the kingdom of God. Notice, Jesus said in verse 6, a certain man had planted a, a fig tree in his vineyard. So it wasn't just a fig tree planted, but it was planted in a specific place. Uh, it's, it was there with design. It was placed somewhere, hear me young people, it was placed somewhere that had a particular privilege about it. It was in possession of some favored circumstances. This fig tree had not been placed on the side of some roadside ditch. It had not been planted along some fence road in a haphazard manner. It had been put in a place of special opportunities. I want to say to us, one of the greatest identifying marks of our journey group, that age group, even some of collision, is that some of you have not had the fortunate experience of having a mom and dad that supported the pastor and the Word of God and growing up in a home where there was a happy marriage illustrated in front of you every day. You didn't have that opportunity and blessing, but God saw to it to put you in a place where you would be cared for, where you would be nurtured, where you would be handled with care, where your lives could be rebuilt and put back together. God placed you in a place that had particular privilege about it, and it was according to divine providence that it happened. The opportunities that came to this fig tree garnered both protection, not just protection, but also culture. That fig tree was placed in an area where it could grow healthy, where it could grow strong, and where it could be fruitful, and I'll come to that in just a moment. But it was also put in a place where it could be protected. Vineyards had fences around them. They were protected from jackals and wild animals that would come and destroy the plants. They were in a protected place of privilege. You're like the fig tree that has been planted in a vineyard. You have been surrounded by many spiritual opportunities and blessings that only come from being planted in a vineyard. I want to say to every person in this building tonight, we are open to help you. We, and I don't say that arrogantly. I don't say that on an ego trip. We don't have all the answers. But if you want to be developed, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, our, our commitment here at Grace Church is to develop that to every, every extent we possibly can. I want to give a note of specific point. I do know today that there's been an opportunity that's been opened up to some of our praise team singers and even some of our musicians. And you fail. You fail miserably on taking advantage of a glorious opportunity to become fine singers and fine musicians that can function virtually in any Christian musical environment. You're not interested in that. I want to remind you today that God has a... You as a fig tree has been planted where you did not fit in other areas, where you were not necessarily even welcomed in other areas, where you never got a warm handshake in other areas. You've been planted in a fig tree, in a vineyard today that will nurture you, that will protect you, that will support you, and somebody here today needs to begin to take advantage of it. Amen. 
You've been surrounded with many spiritual opportunities and blessings that only come from being planted in the vineyard. I implore all of you to take advantage of the spiritual culture that you now find yourself growing in. Far too often, we do not take advantage of the vineyard that we've been planted in. The psalmist said in Psalm 80 and verse 14, Return, return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. The church is like a vineyard that God has planted. God's vineyard has a wall or fence around it for our protection. God digs about the trees in His vineyard so that they are more productive. God takes great pains to prune and cut off excessive branches that are not fruitful. God knows that His vineyard is in jeopardy of the little foxes, so He sets a farmer or a pastor, a watchman in the midst of it. God's vineyard requires a constant call for workers to be involved. Look at this vineyard. Look at this church and make a determination determination in your heart to get involved in what's taking place here. Periodically, God helps me to see flashes of potential in this place. And that, that's been the case for months now. I listened to a worship team this morning that filled the atmosphere and sang for the glory of God. I've seen multiple guests come through our doors in the past several months. And I've listened to the positive comments at the front door regularly as you exit the sanctuary. I want to plead with every person in this church to take advantage of the vineyard that has been designed by God's grace for us to be a part of. I want to encourage everybody here today to take advantage of our prayer times, to take advantage of our student ministry, to take advantage of a growing Sunday school department, to take advantage for a call to holiness, to take advantage for a call to worship, to take advantage of the vineyard and get involved in something that suits your calling and gifting. We're not here to play games. Church is not a social club. It's not some weak, anemic, lukewarm spiritual culture to make you feel warm and fuzzy about Jesus. It's a vineyard. It takes work, and it takes contribution, and most everybody here tonight today does that. But I'm here to preach to those who have that feeling, that sin of indifference, and I don't need to be plugged in, and I don't need to be involved. I want to embrace a little more of the world. I want to embrace a little more sin. Let me stop you in your tracks today. You'll Reap a harvest of that that you will not be able to bear. Continuing verse 6. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. The purpose of the tree being planted in the vineyard was for it to bear fruit. Did y'all know that? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point. I'm going to try to develop a Bible study series for the future out of this. There's one thing I want to say about the United Pentecostal Church. As much as I love it, as much as I'm committed to it, It occurred to me the other day, I was actually out working in my yard, trimming some of my shrubbery. And uh, it occurred to me that the United Pentecostal Church has done a great job in producing shrubbery, but very few fruit trees. We all look the same. 
and bear very little fruit. It's a subject we'll get to at another time. <coughs> but the purpose of the tree being planted and being placed in the vineyard was for it to bear fruit. There was a showing, there was a showing to be given off by that tree. It was to be demonstrated by the figs that should have been on its branches. And I don't have time this morning to jump into Leviticus where when they planted a tree, the first three years you didn't reap a harvest from it. The fourth year uh, you observed the harvest. The fifth year all that harvest went to God. And then the sixth year is when you begin to reap harvest off of it. So it takes a little while to start reaping harvest. It's about a five-year process essentially. And this is why the Bible uses the, the terminology we'll come to in just a moment. But this fig tree had not been planted. Listen. It had not been planted here just to enjoy the water, the fertilizer that had been dropped at its base, or even the painful process of the pruning. And Pentecostals love to testify about how I've been tried, just going through a trial, and we live in a perpetual state of pruning. But after a while, you start being fruitful. That's the point. Everybody say, that's the point. Are y'all still with me? the fig tree was placed there for one reason and for one reason only. And that was to... God never planned any of our lives to be lived and consumed on ourselves. A man who lives his life for himself will end up leading a very shallow existence. And I know people that do that. God never had any intention for my life to be useless, unproductive, or even to be hurtful. We are not here to lean, but to lift. We're not here to hinder, but to help. We're not here to stand on the sidelines and criticize. We're here to get involved in the greatest calling of mankind, and that is doing the will of God. The fact that God has put us where he has means that we are to be of the absolute greatest service to Him that we can be. He came to His fig tree and sought fruit thereon and found none. Despite the fact that the tree was planted in a place of special privilege where it was to prosper, it was, it was right and it was... It was absolutely essential to expect it to bear fruit, to have fruit on its limbs. The tree failed. The tree failed in its whole purpose for what it had been planted for. It wasn't there to be pretty. It wasn't there to make the farmer happy. It wasn't there to give somebody a job and to justify a position in church. Students here today, you're not here today so we can justify the need of a student pastor. You're here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to be fruitful. When the man came to look at his fig tree, he found it barren. It failed to do what it was planted to do. The owner worked. And he waited, 
But all of it was to no avail. He came a second time and was disappointed. And the second time he came, there was still no fruit on its branches. So he ordered it to be cut down. But notice what happened. The very purpose that it had been planted, cultivated, and cared for was never fulfilled. That same failure can happen in our own lives. Just because, listen to pastor, everyone listen. Just because there's a plan that God has for our lives does not mean that He's going to carry out that plan. There has to be some faith and some works on our part to make that plan come to pass. Listen, God is our architect, but we are the builders. God's not going to tattoo you from here to heaven and make you look pretty and make all of your troubles go away so you can rejoice. He put you here to be productive. He put you here to be fruitful. He wants you to give back to the kingdom. He wants you to give back just a little of what He's put in you to give back. And if it were not for the grace of God, none of us would be here today. I said none of us would be here today had it not been for the grace and mercy of God He put us here for a reason, and that is to be fruitful. So there are some things that you have to do. I believe that God has dreamed great dreams for all of us, and I've seen it happen all of my life, where God has dreamed great dreams for people, but they fail and hinder And disappoint him from his dream about you ever coming to pass. God's not going to make it happen for you. God's not going to make it happen. There's some things that you're going to have to do. You have to set yourself aside. You have to sanctify yourself. The Bible teaches that. You set yourself apart. I encourage one of our young people, and some of you may like this, you may not. But I said, you know what? There's probably some folks going where you want to go and be what you want to be. You probably need to start hanging out with a different group of people because the people you're currently hanging out around can be kind of an albatross hanging around your neck. And, and, and you just won't ever really, you need to just find some new people to hang out with. I was very sorry to say that. But it's true. Some of us are doing what God hoped would never happen. His dreams coming to pass in our lives never happening. God comes every day looking for some worthy fruit at our hands. And He cannot find any. Whenever we look at the condition of this tree, the question arises. What? And this is, this is what I want you to hear. Supplies everybody. Nobody's exempt from this. This is one of God, God's Laws for humankind, you'll never escape it. What are the, when you look at the condition of this tree, the question arises and it came up in my mind, is what are the results or what are the fruit, if you will, of barrenness? No, that's an oxymoron, the fruit of barrenness. But what is it? He said in verse 7, he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. The first thing that this fruitless tree 
became was a useless tree. This is a hard message, I know, but God has pricked my heart with it hard. And I've repented myself. I've laid myself out before God. And I've asked God to help me to be more fruitful than I've ever been in my ministry. But the first thing that happens to this fruitless tree is it becomes a useless tree or unusable. That is a tragedy that many find themselves in today. Listen, we've not committed some great horrific sin. Everybody has not viciously attacked someone or violated any laws. They have just become absolutely unusable. I've had more than one faithful church person tell me that. I have no desire to be a part of anything. Unusable. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to offer my talent. I'm not going to offer my gifting that God gave me. I'm not going to offer the attributes of my personality to minister to anyone else. I don't want no part of it. Nathan, if you'll help me with the screen. I want people to see this as I read it. It's almost as if people can stand with the call of greatness ringing in their ears and never really hear it. It's almost as they can hear the call of greatness ringing in their ear and never hear it. It's almost as if they can hear the call of greatness ringing in their ear but they never hear it. They look at the needs of the church and the kingdom of God and stand by and watch with never any thought of getting involved. Listen, listen. Five foolish bridesmaids, five foolish virgins had the door shut in their face, not because they were unclean, but because they didn't have oil. It was not the sin of an act, uh, an act it was not the act of a willful transgression, the sin of willful transgression. It was a sin of negligence. I don't need to. I don't have to. It's an attitude of indifference. I wish everybody could hear what pastor's trying to preach this morning. I wish we were shouting and dancing and having a great time, but that's not where we are right now. I know too many people. There's people I could point out here today that would know the same people I do to verify what I'm talking about that heard the call of greatness ringing in their ear and never hear it. And now today, after their second or third marriage, kids scattered here and yon, and with a lot of disillusionment and disappointment, they look at themselves in the mirror and wondered what in the world happened. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't commit the sin of rebellion. I didn't, com- I didn't steal. I didn't go kill somebody. Why am I in this shape? It's because there was a... Attitude of indifference and neglect when it came to the plan and dream of God for your life. And they end up somewhere. The most prevalent biblical person I can think of right now is Judas Iscariot. God had plans for him, 
But there was things about his relationship with Jesus that he got negligent about. And he couldn't handle the process and the dream that God had for his life. The man who had one talent was flung upon the heap of worthlessness. Not because he squandered his talent, but because he refused to invest his talent. The fig tree was ordered to be cut down, not because it was bearing fruit that was poisonous. It was ordered to be cut down because it had none. The man, listen, listen to pastor. I know people, look, I cut my teeth on the back of a Pentecostal church pew. Uh, This ain't my first rodeo. As the old person testified, I've been in the way for a long time. I'm in the way, the writing, shining way, and I just get in the way of everybody. (laughs) But listen to what I'm about to say, because I've seen it happen. I cannot tell you what this message has done to revolutionize my own personal life and my own thinking. The man whom the unclean spirits had been cast out of, you remember that? Jesus warned that person. He warned that person. A spirit, unclean spirits had been cast out. But he entered back into a state of slavery that was sevenfold worse. By virtue of the fact that he did nothing to replace the void created by the absence of those spirits. The sin of neglect and indifference. His sin was a sin of uselessness. That's why the situation with Elijah when God put to him a very hard question. What doest thou here? Remember when Elijah was sitting under the juniper tree whining and wanting to die because Jezebel was after him? God asked him, What are you doing here? Why are you here? That question should be one that the group I've highlighted today needs to entertain yourself. What are you doing here and why? What's your purpose? Do you know? You think you're planted here to be pretty and to kind of be an asset and to make Grace Church look good? What do you think? Oh, I know. I've been planted here, Pastor, to find my girlfriend. To find my boyfriend. That's why I'm here. God is bringing me and so and so together. It's the will of God. Do you think that's why you're here? If you do, I can name some that was deceived by the same lie. That's what they thought, too. What are you doing here? I know a long list of people who were planted in a vineyard but did nothing with it. And today they're living lives devoid of hope and fulfillment. Let me continue. It really don't get better from here, but I'm going to continue. In verse 7, the man who owned the vineyard said, Why is this fig tree cumbering the ground it's planted in? That's how useless This tree was to him. Not only was the tree useless, but now it's become a hindrance. It's in the way. One commentary said, why doth it make even the ground useless? 
Another said, why should it rob the soil? Moffat said, why does it take up space? Goodspeed said, why does it waste the ground? Berkeley said, why does it exhaust the soil? Another said, why does it clutter up the ground for nothing? It was frankly, it had become a parasite that had found a good host, wasting good sunshine and rain and the rising of the dew, and the soil was investing itself into this tree to no avail. The attention and care of the vineyard owner was consumed on itself and nothing was given in return for it. The sad fact is even the grapes that grew under it could have grown better had the fig tree not been there. Y'all see what I'm talking about today? Y'all hear me? I'm preaching the best I can here today. Not only had it become useless, but it had become a menace to the ground it was planted in. This is the nature of indifference when it comes along and robs us. Indifference will cause men to wither in their relationship with God. Men often persistently neglect the church. Men fall into the matter of making excuses. Uh, men go to great lengths to justify their actions in their eyes. Uh, of those they think may be weighing out their actions, suddenly that indifference turns to the deadly sin of fault-finding. He will look for the worst in the church instead of finding the best. He turns stone after stone looking for the rascal who's worse than he is. And with the looking, he will find things. And the knowledge of these things causes him to get worked into a righteous frenzy. With that grand display of passion, he starts to tell the reasons that he has become harsh towards the things of God. He charges foolishly the very thing he once pledged his loyalty to. But the plain truth is that this kind of man began his march down the path when he became useless and unusable and then began degenerating into a critic and a fault finder to appease himself in his useless or unusable state. So the dresser of the vineyard said, cut it down. Cut it down. The final result of barrenness is that the tree will be cut down. But I want you to notice something here today, and this is very striking to me. Nobody in this building can blame God for your demise. Notice who's calling for the felling of this tree. I can tell you that it's not an angry God that is calling for the felling of this tree. But it's the overflow of the natural law when you quit absorbing the very thing that's supposed to give you nutrient and to make you productive, when you quit absorbing that, you die on your own. God don't have to do that. And that's where the sin of indifference, the sin of neglect takes us. It's that path of fruitlessness, barrenness, and pretty soon you die. You think you're living. It's just like the prodigal son. When, the father, when he returned home, his father said, This my son was dead. But to the son, he was living. He was living it up in a strange land, wasting his father's inheritance. Having a ball. Thinking, I've got my life mapped out, man. And not realizing the disappointment he was bringing to the heart of God. There's people here today that are living the same existence. You're not happy and you know it. You're not fulfilled and you know it. And you find in fault with the very thing that you used to be loyal to. There's an answer. There's a remedy. But before I come to that, let me say the muscle that does not get used will atrophy. 
The eye that does not see will soon become blind. The ear that doesn't hear will soon become deaf. The right hand that refuses to serve will lose its skill. The church that fails to evangelize will die. The nature of barrenness is that it very rarely results in an immediate judgment and destruction. It's not immediate. It's gradual. The judgment and destruction linger for a while. The mercy of God issues a plea. Let me work with it for another year. Let me dig around it for another year. Let me put some fertilizer around it. Let me just see what will happen. And God says, okay. So that's what our student pastor does every Wednesday night and his staff. They keep digging around. They keep pouring on fertilizer. They keep watering. They keep bringing in sunshine. But you know what? After a while, barrenness kills itself. No matter how much you fertilize, you won't grow. This is what bothers me. This is what bothers me. The fact that we've been spared of our uselessness or unusableness does not mean that this law is forgotten. It only means that God is doing His very best to pull the people, to pull the potential out of us before it's too late. So whatever you do, don't be blinded by the mercy of God and think that God is pleased with the state of life you're presently in. There is a sobering passage that describes what I'm preaching in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of the men is fully set in them to do evil. So you think that because, you know, I'm choosing to live like I want to live because God's not judging me right now for it, then it must be cool. It's not cool. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, Pastor, after this long, arduous, very depressing message, what do we do? The Bible always comes through with an answer. How do we escape this tragedy of uselessness? and being a hindrance, and of being cut down. Jesus gave a way of escape in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except you repent. That's your answer. It's repentance. Repentance is one of the greatest grace gifts that God has given to us. You can always come back, man. You can always make a comeback. You hear me? You can always make a comeback. I want to tell everybody sitting in this building today, here of late, I love our altar services, and we're going to have that this morning, and I hope all of you respond to it. I have in my personal life. I have. I've responded to this message already. I've been convicted for the past several months because of it. But I'm not so much in an altar service manifestation. I'm in a lifestyle manifestation. When our kids go to all-state youth rallies and youth camp, you've got to be in the front, man. Weasel your way up there. When the pre- preacher's preaching, you're on your feet, man. I call her Fred. If you'll stand with me this morning. 
Melanie, I finally found out what the problem is in pronouncing her name. Sister Alphen said that Danish people learn how to swallow their R's. That's the problem. I don't know how to swallow my R's. So I can't say fresh whatever she so we just call her Fred. Such a beautiful person. Came here about seven months ago. Not really sure there was a God. But Grace Church has introduced her to one that she'll always be able to believe in. As a matter of fact, Grace Church introduced her to the only one. But this is what paralyzed me Friday night. In her sweet, adorable Danish way, she's reaching out to God. From a culture that's so adversely different from ours in the way we worship and the way we look at religion, I just got a long education in that yesterday. I understand a little bit better. I don't want to embarrass her. It's the last thing I want to do. But Sister Murphy walked up behind her Friday night and said, Frederica, would you, would you like to pray? She said, Sister Murphy, I didn't hear any of the message tonight. I don't know what the preacher preached. There was so much laughing and talking going on around me, I got nothing out of the message. So if I went to pray, I don't know what I'd pray for. We have about six to eight weeks. The clock's ticking. I want her to go back to Denmark full of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. According to foreign exchange student requirements, we cannot baptize her without her parents' permission, but they can't stop her from receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we're already working on connections in Denmark to make sure there's somebody there. I'm sorry if I embarrass you. Young folks, you've been planted in a vineyard and you're full of talent, man. You're full of it. Take advantage. We met a couple of Wednesday nights ago after church about how you can give back. Pat, give it all you got, man. And God help us not to stand calling, ringing in our ear. You want to be a Sunday school teacher, Emerald? You've been planted in a vineyard. And there's not a greater opportunity than right now. This isn't a daycare center. We're teaching our kids the Word of God. And God put you here. When you were about 18 months old, if I remember right. And He did it for a purpose. If I've ever seen a fig tree planted in a vineyard, it's this one right here. She's going to Ireland in May on a mission trip. She's counting the days. But she's taking advantage 
the special privilege. I could go to every young person in this building today and my heart is bleeding. My heart's bleeding. You can't waste this opportunity. You can't waste it. All the work that they do every Wednesday night, Brother Dave and his staff, Edge, I want to commit to you kids. McKenna, Leah, Marley, y'all were there Friday night. Cole, I think you were there. I was so proud. This is our next youth group, man. I told Kelton and Christy last Sunday, enjoy them while you got them because they won't be under you long. They're going to they're be promoting up. And Brother Aaron back there can't wait. But we put everything we've got, everything we have, into giving you guys an opportunity. Don't waste it. Please don't waste it. I apologize for everybody else if I'm taking too much time. But I work too hard for this moment. I'm calling on our parents. We're depending on y'all, man. <laughs> I'm sorry for our young people that wasn't raised in the kind of home that could help nurture and bring what you're hearing to pass. I'm sorry. But God, in His mercy, man, put you in a place. Brianna, aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you came? And I could start down this side and up this one and I'll just go all the way around the building. Sister Dean Dykes, where are you? Is she back there somewhere? Way back there in the back. Aren't you glad that at this place in your life, Brandy, move to your right. Just there you go. Perfect. Right there. And I can see her. Aren't you glad at this place in your life God brought you to this vineyard? Her husband passed away. A good friend of ours, known him all of my life, went on to his reward. She moved here, nervous, insecure. She told me the other day, I'm so glad God brought me to Grace Church. Young folks, seize the moment. Don't play with the world. You'll reap a harvest. There's two or three people here today I'd like for you to sit down and talk to before you make that choice because they made that choice. And they're doing everything in their power to make a comeback and struggling every single day. They've reaped a harvest they can hardly handle. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. So... I just felt a hard nudge in the Holy Ghost. Let's wait just for a moment. God wants to speak through somebody right now.
God's given you an invitation. Okay, see if you'll play and sing. The altars are open. They're all yours right now. To whoever will, to whoever wants to. God's given you an invitation. He set before you an open door. You can walk through it or you can walk away from it, but the opportunity is yours. You can kneel, you can stand, whatever you want to do. But tonight, today, excuse me, it's time to get our heart right with God. Once and for all, we're going to make a commitment. We're going to be planted. I'm asking my staff to help me today in the altars. Moms, dads, find your kids. Find them. We need all need a good praying through the Holy Ghost this morning. We all need it. We all need it. We've got to get back to where God wants us to be. We've got to get back to where God wants us to be. Don't make the mistake of walking away today without praying. Don't make that mistake. Everybody come and pray with them. Everybody come pray with them. Come on, everybody come pray. You know what to do. Come on. Everybody come pray. Everybody come pray. pray.